0: And welcome to another edition of the From the Booth podcast. My name is Cody Clark. Evan Eichen, my co-host, is alongside me. Evan, we are jam-packed today. We've got a ton of stuff to get to. Major League Baseball playoffs. Uh, uh, Athletes in the NCAA are potentially going to get paid. We've got plenty of college football and NFL action. We are going to start with Major League Baseball last night. Evan, are you much of a baseball guy?
1: I was growing up, but... uh... I would be uh, lying if I said that my knowledge didn't extend overly far. Pretty much all (laughs) I know about this year is that the twins shattered every single season home run record. And that's because living in Iowa, like they're like the local team. Right. So I would be... uh, I would be uh, lying to you and everyone if I tried to give detailed analysis because I haven't really paid a lot of attention this year. I'm that, sorry.
0: No, you're good. That's funny. I couldn't remember. I, I, I just couldn't remember if you were – I you know, I know football is your thing and that kind of stuff, but I just couldn't remember. But the Nationals last night come away with a 4-3 to win over the Brewers and the NL wild card. We'll recap that real quick. Uh, the three-run single by Juan Soto that broke Twitter. I don't know if you saw, but people were trying to post things and, and – there were so many people, I think, on Twitter in the, in the latter stages of that game that uh, it, it broke for a few minutes. But Juan Soto had the three-run single. Uh, the Nats were down 3-1. to one. That was the go-ahead runs. He was tagged out on the bases, but the Nationals had already gone ahead as the bases were loaded, so he cleared them off. Uh, and a couple of interesting notes for the Brewers. Their left-handed pitcher, Josh Hader, he was their, their ace of the bullpen. He had struck out a hundred and thirty-eight batters, Evan, in just seventy-five and two-thirds innings. And he had faced sixty-six left-handers this year, and he'd allowed two singles. Or excuse me, he'd allowed one single, and he had not allowed two singles in one inning since the twenty-seventh of May. Does this kind of help maybe dispel some of the the lefty lefty? Because Hayter was lefty going against Soto and and he threw that fastball up and Soto was able to dump it in and the Nationals were able to win.
1: I'd say so, but it gets to the point with like how home runs and strikeouts work that I don't really know what to do with any stats in terms of strikeouts and home runs. Because at this point, I think I saw a stat where like about 40% of all runs scored were home runs. I saw it on Twitter, so I don't know how uh, how true that stat is. So if someone could uh, look at the particulars on that, that would be much appreciated. But it's it's one it's one game, and it's really unfortunate that one of these teams had to lose, especially the Nationals having that poetic story of Bryce Harper leaving them to sign that mega deal with Philadelphia because he thought he couldn't win in Washington, and then Washington knocks Bryce and the Phillies out of the playoffs, and then they've moved on to face the L.A. Dodgers, who is just the one hurdle they just can't get across. So, you know, it has to be a mix of emotions if you're a Nationals fan. It's like, yes, we moved on to the playoffs, and, oh, no, we get the Dodgers again. This this isn't good.
0: Well, that's a good point because they you had to use Steven Strasburg last night. Uh, Max Scherzer was your starter. Uh, Scherzer got hit early for a, for a, a couple of runs, and then... Was able to settle down, and then Strasburg coming out of the bullpen was fantastic with three shutout innings. But that's a great point because now you have to face the prolific Dodgers, and you still have Patrick Corbin, and you and Strasburg will be able to come, you know, come back around. It's not like he threw an entire game, but you are starting out with kind of we've got Patrick Corbin for game one, and then we've kind of got to figure it out against one of the best teams in Major League Baseball against uh, against the Dodgers. But yeah, it's a great story for the Nationals. They started 19 and 31. On the season, they were 12 games under, I believe they're just the ninth team to start a season 12 games under and make the postseason. And then the Nationals, of course, with the 4-3 win over the Brewers. The Brewers were, were uh, played well in, in their own right. They lost uh, MVP candidate Christian Yelich and then responded by going 13-5 in the last 18 without him. So uh, an excellent season for the Brewers, but what a win last night for the Nationals. The American League wildcard game tonight, it's Tampa Bay, and it is Oakland. It's the Rays in Oakland. Charlie Morton will go for Tampa. Sean Manaya, who has come off uh, shoulder surgery, and he's pitched just five games, but he's 4-0 with a 1-2-1 ERA, so that is going to be a, a tough matchup for the Rays. Charlie Morton will go for Tampa. He is 16 and 60 this year, excuse me, with a 3.05 earned run average. So uh, n- another interesting matchup tonight, coming in the American League Wild Card game before the division series get underway uh, later in the week and over the weekend. All right, Evan, let us let's slide to one of the major major topics being slung around. Uh, and that is out of California with the Fair Pay to Play Act, which Governor Gavin Newsom uh, signed the bill that will go into effect in 2023, uh, allowing athletes to profit off their name, image, and likeness. Evan, when this went down, you had Pennsylvania, Washington, Colorado, New York, uh, Florida, South Carolina, everyone scurrying to kind of follow suit with what California was doing in terms of this fair pay. Fair Pay-to-Play Act, allowing uh, athletes to profit off their name. Where do you stand on this issue? I know we've never had this discussion, so we're going to kind of hash it out here. But do you like that athletes are going to be able to get a paycheck for their likeness?
1: Well, considering that this is like the one area of commerce that you're not that in every other workforce, you were able to profit off your name and likeness and make something. But I find, like, the rebuttals to this hilarious. So, like, well, well, what if, like, we get agents and stuff? Uh, uh, yeah, like, that stuff isn't happening right now. Like, the FBI. D- d- does anyone? Did we all just forget there was a whole FBI thing in college basketball? Like, Cody, like, you remember that, right? Oh, Absolutely. Like there was like a whole FBI you've thing got, of you've college got, basketball. you got
0: people in jail for that.
1: Yeah. And all the comments are like, well, what if this starts happening? And what if that starts happening? It's like, well, yeah, that's already happening now. The only difference would be you could actually pay the players directly. But I, I agree that they should get something, but I don't know how much of something like that's not really for me to decide, uh, because the the uh, the odds of a college player getting to Reggie Bush, Tim Tebow status are exceedingly rare. Uh, it it's a long time coming, and it should and it should have happened a long time ago. Uh, but there is a bit of a loophole. It says that the colleges themselves cannot suspend. The players. It doesn't say anything that the NCAA can't do anything. So if the NCAA really wanted to, they could just sit down all of the California schools, USC, UCLA, Cal, and say, you are permanently banned from postseason play. Like There is that little bit of a loophole that says the colleges can't do anything, but there's nothing that would prevent the NCAA from theoretically dropping the hammer down and blacklisting the entire state of California.
0: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how the NCAA responds to this. I'm all for uh, student-athletes being able to profit off their name, image, and likeness. I was always against the getting paid to play in terms of getting a paycheck if you're on the football team and you're playing in games. Like I, was, I, I, I thought from a scholarship perspective and that sort of thing that I was kind of, I was against, like, you know, we should pay them ten dollars an hour, whatever you wanted to to come up with that. When people were kind of hashing that around, I was against that. But I, I I am all for them being able to profit off their off their name, as you mentioned, as you can do in in oh I don't know every other walk of life. And you've got the schools making um, exorbitant amounts of money on ticket sales and jersey sales and all of those sorts of things. This is a very it's a very slippery slope in terms of, you know, what is this going to look like? And this is not something that, you know, this is going to play out. There's a lot of workshopping still left to do in terms of the NCAA has to figure out how they're going to handle things. You know, obviously, it's going to just take the implementation of it to figure out how in the world it's going to play out in the real world.
1: It won't be on the books until, what, 2022, 2023? Yeah,
0: 2023 in California. I think Florida was was trying to get something potentially as soon as 2020. So this is on the NCAA's doorstep. You know, for everyone that says, I guess I would say, you know, if you're arguing against this from a balance of power or fairness perspective, my argument to you would be that it's already not – anyway i mean clemson alabama ohio state oklahoma those schools already get the vast majority of five star recruits now with this new with this new bill what's to say you know let's say you have at you know in in ohio you've got a major car dealership or booster or something that says hey i'm going to allocate you know, four hundred thousand uh, dollars per year, and I'm gonna have, you know, our I'm for four top recruits, and when they come in and they're playing for Ohio State, they come down and they make appearances and sign autographs, and and each of them gets a hundred thousand dollars for the year. That stuff is going to happen, but these schools—it are... already is. Well, I think it's not. I agree that there are some that are getting paid. I don't think it's as as I don't think it's fair to say it's as widespread as we assume it is, but I definitely do agree that I think it's happening. But those, you know, those schools are already getting those top kids anyway because of the success of the program, the tradition of the program, the facilities that they have. And besides all of that, you're talking about you know 1% of 1% the Zion Williams as you point the Zion Williamson, as you pointed out Reggie Bush Tim Tebow how many times in have we seen those types of athletes come along those are generational type talents and the
1: last one that was
0: closest
1: was maybe Johnny Manziel and even that was 6 7 years ago
0: yeah absolutely and that's a great point Johnny Manziel took the took college football by storm, was an excellent player for Texas A&M, and there's no doubt that he was responsible for helping uh, Texas A&M fill that stadium, uh, get TV games, all of those sorts of things. So should Johnny Manziel have a chance to earn a cut of that? In my opinion, absolutely. You know, th- there's still, like I said, there's still a long way to go with this and figuring out You know, is the NCAA going to put a cap on it? You know, can you only earn this amount in terms of agents? You know, is the agent only going to be for you earning money off the field? You know, obviously, you know, you you can't get paid for your on-field performance. So your agent is then going to just be responsible for handling your sponsorship deals or your shoe deal or anything like that. So there's a long way to go in figuring out what exactly this looks like. I, for one, am glad that we've taken the step to do that because I think that student-athletes should be able to have a chance to profit off of that. But, Evan, we've still got a long way to go to figure out what's the, what this looks like because there is a vast abundance of possibilities.
1: The one most common response that I found like on Twitter or Facebook comments was the, a group of people that I don't know if it's true, but they all had the same example of, Screw you, college athletes. I graduated college in 1998, and I'll be paying off student loans until I'm 45. You're already going to school for free, and now you want even more? Screw you guys. You know, just like stories like that where it's like, well, I'm going to be paying student loans for the next 20 years, and my parents had to take out a second mortgage for me to even go to college. How dare you say you're not getting enough
0: no, that's Which a good I, point. I, I, I
1: don't think you're gonna be able to program that out of people. Like I just don't think that's gonna happen.
0: But I think that's disingenuous but- on a lot of people's part because, again, we're talking about like you know the one percent of one percent. I mean, you y- you still got the vast majority of students. You know, a lot of student athletes are not on full athletic scholarships. Maybe they're getting they've got a half ride or whatever. But if you go look through scholarship breakdowns by sport. You've got the large portion of student-athletes in the United States, in the NCAA, almost everyone is not getting a full ride. There's only X amount of full scholarships available. So you've got students taking out loans and doing things who are already doing that and playing their sport. So that's just disingenuous because the vast majority of student-athletes are still doing that. We're just talking about the top X amount of of student-athletes being able to profit off that.
1: I find that I found that to be pretty disingenuous too, because it's like, really? So multiple people had the exact same story of paying student loans for 20 plus years. And I mean, I get it. I mean, college is expensive. I mean, you've been there. I've been there. We're going to be paying student loans for the next while. But I just found that argument to be fairly disingenuous. And a lot of people are going to go to that. Well, they already get enough. Why should we give them more attitude? And I just don't think you can program that out of people. So I think that's going to be an even bigger hurdle. And then there's the other thing about, well, when people talk about paying athletes, nobody says anything about paying the softball players. Nobody says anything about playing the volleyball guys. How come they're the only ones that get paid? Um, I wish I had a good answer for that one too.
0: Well, no, that's a good point too, and that's something that, you know, look, I, I, I ran collegiately in college. Now I was, it was, well, we were NAIA, not NCAA, but I can, I can st- I can obviously sit there and go, look, the school's not making any sort of money on men's cross country. I do not deserve to be to be paid for that. I'm getting a scholarship. I'm getting the chance to go to school. They're paying for a large portion of that. That that's that's what I get in exchange for being able to do this. So, I completely understand that part of it. It's not like I said, we're talking about the top X amount per, percent and we're talking about in football and we're talking about men's basketball because those are the those are the sports that have the large TV deals that make the most money for the colleges. I mean, this just a statement of fact. You're talking about all those two sports usually pay for the athletic departments to run, you know, every single sport under the umbrella of the collegiate athletic department. So, you know, I, I don't think it's something where, I mean, yes, you could have some Title IX issues and, and those sorts of things in terms of having the you know, like you said, the softball player or something have those same chances. And I do agree that, you know, that's going to fall into part of this. What does this whole thing look like? Because, you know, maybe your elite softball player uh, has, you know, wants to go down and she's able to get, you know, a thousand dollars to go sign autographs at the mall or your uh, women, your top women's basketball player or something like that. So i I do think those opportunities will exist. But again, we're talking about just a few people. And as you mentioned, you know, what is this stuff going to look like? We just kind of have to let it play out and see what, see what happens.
1: It's not going to be on the books until 2023, but a lot of the arguments that I see against it is, well, they already have enough. Why should we give them more? Which is an insane thing to say. Well, and I I just,
0: I would say too, okay, what, you know, you're you're you are just a consumer watching college basketball last year. You're watching Duke, you're watching Zion Williamson. What changes if he's also getting 5 million dollars from Gatorade and Nike and signing autographs at the mall? What changes for you uh, the viewer? For me personally, nothing? Exactly, nothing. Nothing changes. So what so what's the problem with him being able to capitalize on I'm Zion Williamson. I'm a brand. I'm bringing in this to Duke. I deserve a cut of it. He's getting a cut of it. Nothing changes for us in terms of taking I think in the sport. Really,
1: I think it really comes down to like a jealousy and a bitterness thing. Well, I never got that, so shame on you for getting it. I think that I think a lot of it can really just be boiled down to like bitterness and jealousy of well, I wish someone would pay me three hundred thousand dollars when I was seventeen and could dribble a ball but like that isn't a skill that they've worked their whole lives at like anybody can just pick up a basketball and become zion (laughs) right like it's, it's not how it works i've been in favor of paying them for a long time but i've i don't think a lot of the people that outside of probably you would agree with me on that uh They've still got a lot. They still have got a lot of bugs to iron out. Because I remember a couple of years ago when Northwestern, like the Northwestern football team, tried to unionize? Yep, remember that? I do remember that. So would this mean that we would have to have like a college, like a F- like an F C, an FBS players union, similar to how the NFL and NBA has players unions?
0: Well, and Are that's they going to have point. to unionize? And not to mention this is all – this money is – there's taxes that come into play. I mean, you've got a large, a large port, and I don't know, you know, all of the tax laws and everything, but you've got a lot of money that's for non-profit. So you, you're being able to avoid taxes on a lot of different, uh, a lot of these different areas. All of a sudden, if this is starting to be, you know, commerce and all that sort of thing, for-profit type stuff, you're going to have, taxes and all sorts of things come down. So there's just a lot of, you know, the the student will have to fill out the, you know, the W-2 and all that kind of stuff. We'll have to have the, you know, take taxes out of that and whatever. What does that look like? You know, like you said, there's just, we've got a long way to go with this. I think it's a step in the right direction, but for California, it's 2023. We'll see if any of these other states try to go quicker than that sooner than that we mentioned pennsylvania washington colorado new york south carolina florida all uh potentially in the works for that but uh it's it's going to be an interesting process to watch something that i'm glad that's getting started but i'm also glad to be able to follow along and see how everything plays out we'll stay in the realm of college football how
1: about about the governor going on lebron james's show to sign the legislation how about that
0: that's the power of LeBron James man he's he's one of the figureheads kind of kind of leading the charge here
1: and is it fair to say that he is the most influential athlete on and off the court in our lifetimes
0: Yeah there's no and mine no doubt it's not even close
1: and, and mine I'm like 26 so like I'm not really old enough to be around there when Jordan was Jordan
0: yeah no that for me absolutely 100. percent Uh, Evan, Evan, let's slide on over to college football. We've had some different things to get to. We had a shakeup in the top uh, five of the AP Top 25 poll. Uh, Clemson survived a scare against North Carolina. I want to start there. Evan, are you a fan of UNC going for the two and the win despite being at home? I thought this was interesting.
1: Yes, yes, and yes. (laughs) This is a game that on paper, Clemson should have destroyed North Carolina. North Carolina lost to Appalachian State. Now, this isn't like 2007 Armani Edwards-Appalachian State. <laughs> like, Appalachian State is still a pretty decent team, but they just lost to Appalachian State. This is a game that nobody thought they were in, or nobody thought they were going to be in. Go for two. Take the, you know, go for two, take the win. That was absolutely the right play to make. How about Paul Feinbaum coming out and saying that Clemson doesn't deserve to be in the top four? Like that's 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 insane.
0: Yeah, that's ridiculous. Like,
1: what's what's wrong with that guy?
0: That's just for that's just for clicks. I totally agree. Going for two, you know, they they say you go for the win on the road, you go for the tie at home. I just think, you know, if this is a game against. You know, if this is Clemson and maybe like, uh, you know, somebody, I'm trying to think of somebody else in the ACC, maybe Virginia this year. If you're Virginia, you are, you know, you probably tie the game because you, you've got, you, you, the way this game played out, let's say it plays out the same with a, with a Virginia or somebody like that, you're much more, you're in a much better place to compete with Clemson. UNC such a young team. They hung in there. As you mentioned on paper, this is not a game that you probably think that you would even be in maybe seven or eight times out of ten. You're able to use that energy at home. You're able to play well. I am all for going for two and the win. I didn't love the play call, but besides that, uh, I liked that Mack Brown in North Carolina went for the win against the Clemson Tigers. You mentioned Paul Feinbaum and – Clemson's ranking Alabama is the new number one Clemson at two Georgia at three Ohio State at four LSU at five and Evan you have an interesting uh team that you think should be in the top five and I'm against you but I, I but I want you to uh to go ahead and lay that out for us you've got a team that you think should be a top five team
1: when I pitched this to you Monday night <laughs> uh I I, I, I preface this by saying that you're going to think I've gone off the deep end, uh, which is a problem for me because I can't swim. Uh, but I, put, I would put Auburn at number four and Ohio State at number five simply because Auburn has impressed me. They, they beat Oregon on opening night uh, in, in, our, in Texas. Did you know that Oregon is allowed 15 points total? in the three games since
0: yeah they're a really they good went, defense
1: they went into college station against a ranked texas a&m team which is a, which is a tough place to play and won they manhandled a pretty good mississippi state team this is a team that they don't need Bo nicks to look like tua like in 2013 the last time they went to the national championship game their quarterback was nick marshall and nick marshall was never going to confuse anybody for being a and and a, a pro level quarterback. You would agree with that. Yes. So if they they just need him to be Nick Marshall and they've got a good they've got a good defense, good running game. Auburn has impressed me more than I would say Oklahoma has because Oklahoma it's kind of turning into like the Mike Leach Texas Tech thing where Lincoln Riley can just take some guy and make him look good. Like I'm not saying that I'm not saying Jalen Hurts is a system guy, but judging from this season alone, I would put Auburn in the top five over Ohio State, but just just slightly. Now, Cody, I'm inviting the floor. Feel free to <laughs> bury me, call me insane, uh, whatever way you're going to disagree with me on this.
0: No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to bury you on this. I disagree from. I don't think Auburn is a top-five team in the country. Now, I will cede to you that Auburn is at number seven. They have played—they have beaten two ranked opponents. LSU has not done that. Ohio State has not done that. Oklahoma has not done that. Those three teams are all in front of Auburn. So I will say that I I have to cede that to you, that Auburn, if you look at the schedule that they've played— who they've been able to beat 5 and 0 LSU Oklahoma ahead of them at 4 and 0 Ohio State at 5 and 0 you could argue and i as you have and i will entertain that they should be ranked in the top 5 of the poll now i don't think auburn is one of the five best teams in the country ohio state has not played anybody but if i if you flip on ohio state to me in my opinion they are one of the top five teams in the country, probably one of the top four teams in the country. If that you...
1: Nebraska game was over in 20 minutes.
0: Oh, It was over in like...
1: It was it was over in 20 minutes. It was... it was 38 to nothing at halftime.
0: Yeah, it was over in like nine minutes. Oklahoma, again, we've read this book before. Lincoln Riley is able to. He's taken Jalen Hurts, and Jalen Hurts now looks like an NFL draft prospect when I don't think anyone would have said that he was in his time at Alabama. I don't think you can argue that Alabama should be there. I don't think you can argue, and see, this is this is where it comes in again because Clemson hasn't played anybody either. Do I think Clemson is a top five team in the country? I think they're one of the two or three best teams in the country. Do they have as good a wins as Auburn does? No, they don't. So, from that perspective, if you're just looking at the rankings on paper in terms of who's won, I wholeheartedly agree with you. You could argue that Auburn should be ranked three or four at this point in the season four or five games in. But if I flip on Bama, if I flip on Clemson, Ohio State, LSU, Oklahoma, I think Georgia, I think all of those teams are better than Auburn if they play Auburn head-to-head is where I would say that I disagree. So sh- from, on paper, yes. The wins that they've had, the way that they've played, uh, you mentioned it. They don't need Bo Nix to go out and win a Heisman. They need Bo Nix to complete just over 60% of his passes and not turn the ball over. And with the weapons they have on defense, uh, only allowing 17 points a game, they're going to be able to get it done. So on paper, I agree with the couple of wins they've had, but I don't think they're as good as the other teams that are ranked ahead of them. So I think they're right about... Appropriately went, uh, ranked, excuse me, where they should be, but you know we'll see. You know we're going to dive into this. Um, you know it, it. We're getting into the thick of the conference schedule. There's a big game this weekend for Auburn to prove themselves at 3:30 in the swamp uh, against the Florida Gators, a team that's ranked 10th in the country. So all of, especially these, all of these SEC teams, they're going to have a chance to be able to prove who should be on top. And uh, I think Auburn is appropriately ranked right now, but I, I think there's a, a big chance for, for them to be able to move up. Look, Florida with, the, with Kyle Trask, the backup quarterback, but they play against Auburn this weekend at home, and then they go, they go and play LSU. So there's a big chance, you know, if you win both of those games, you're going to see the Florida Gators vault up the standing. So just of just kind of depends on how the conference slate plays out. I definitely think Auburn is is you know one of the one of the handful of teams that's the best teams in the country a top top 7 top 8 team. They're ranked 7th right now. I just can't put them ahead of those other teams because they've got a couple more wins that are better than those other teams, but I don't think they are better than those other teams if they play them head to head.
1: Okay, so here's the next 3 games for Auburn. They're at Gainesville, number 10 Florida, then they get Arkansas, and then October 26th at LSU oh, this, in Baton Rouge.
0: Yeah, this month there is some big SEC games.
1: So let's play this out. Let's say Auburn beats Florida by 10, and then they beat Arkansas. That game, that that October 26th Auburn-LSU matchup could be, could have massive SEC title game and Potentially playoff implications by by late October. Um, if Auburn can get through Florida and Arkansas unscathed, will you concede that they should be in the top four going into that 26 matchup in LSU against LSU, assuming both teams make it there unscathed?
0: Yes, uh, assuming that I I would definitely agree with that. You you mentioned it. You know, there's a big chance for a couple of these different teams to move up. I think it's so interesting too that you're going to have that game on October 26th. You could, you know, LSU Auburn if they are both undefeated. You know, how many times, Evan, have we seen where a team loses earlier in the season and they're able to then run the table, win a championship game, and get into the playoff? How many times have we seen a team? lose later in the season and it's tougher to overcome so I think you've got some of these games that are very interesting for a lot of these especially SEC teams because you have Georgia at three LSU at five Auburn at seven Florida at ten all of these teams are going to play each other so somebody is going to have to lose and a lot of times we've seen it's better to lose earlier and so that matchup is going to be one that we're definitely going to watch and this SEC slate is going to be one to watch because Georgia and LSU and Auburn have all have all looked like they belong and the Florida Gators have played good football. They've got a chance to beat Auburn this weekend and prove that they belong. So boy, there's some big big SEC games coming up in an absolutely loaded top part of that conference.
1: The SEC is going to cannibalize each other, which which creates opportunities for teams like Ohio State. Oklahoma, Wisconsin, Iowa, maybe Iowa. Iowa's a top 15 team.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's the group of teams.
1: They could have a 2015 run where they're a couple yards away from the playoff until Michigan State ruined the dreams of them and an entire state.
0: No, you're exactly right. I mean, I think that, you know, if Alabama does what they do, Clemson wins A-C, you know, those two teams are going to be, you know, maybe people don't feel that way about Clemson this year. I do. But um, you assume that those guys are going to be there. But as you mentioned, Oklahoma and Ohio State are kind of in that next, you know, the SEC teams are going to knock each other off. Ohio State and Oklahoma have to be ready to capitalize because you could be looking at a one-loss Georgia, a one-loss LSU, a one-loss Auburn. Let's say some of those teams only have a loss Even if Oklahoma and Ohio State are able to win their respective conference, it's going to be tough to go against those SEC teams from a resume perspective.
1: Maybe Auburn is undefeated going into the Iron Bowl, and they do what they did in 2013. I mean, not return a kickoff 100 and whatever yards for a touchdown, but beat Alabama in the Iron Bowl. Does that mean Alabama gets knocked out? Because then there's going to be a glut of teams there with Ohio State, Oklahoma. This could be, assuming everything just goes insane, this could be one of the more compelling playoff seasons we've seen in a long time. Because there's a lot of teams at the top there, and we know that the SEC is going to cannibalize each other because they all have to play each other who's going to who's going to be that team that you know has a good has a great October and slowly slides up there where you look up and you're like oh this team has a chance huh this is going to be an interesting year and it's 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 been a it's been an interesting September and speaking of September I'm going to push the panic button on the entire Pac-12 Cody the entire Pac-12 go ahead and here's why On Friday, the 27th, Cal lost to Arizona State. And I know some of you are thinking, well, who cares about the results of a random Friday night Pac-12 game? Well, I'm glad you asked, hypothetical listener, because that means (laughs) – because that loss meant on September 27th, nobody was undefeated in the Pac-12. And that effectively killed their chances – at the college football playoff as of this moment. So you can go back to October, October, September 27th, the day Cal lost to Arizona state, which meant the entire Pac 12 had at least one loss and could potentially leave them empty handed come playoff time. No, that's that's why I'm pushing that panic button.
0: No, that, I mean, from the playoff perspective, you're exactly right. This is a very solid, very solid conference. Oregon, 3-1, 3 and 1 they're ranked 13th. Washington 4 and 1, excuse me, they're ranked 15th. Utah at 17th. Arizona State is 4 and 1, they're ranked 20th. USC is receiving votes. I don't think that uh, you've got Cal right there as well having just lost that game but still a very good team. There aren't any real elite teams in this conference. I think I don't think anyone would argue with you that Oregon is the best is the best chance for somebody in the Pac-12 to go against one of the bigger powers. But then again, you come back and say, well, they lost to Auburn to open the year, so maybe it's not them. In my opinion, the way they play defensively with Justin Herbert at quarterback, they would be the most likely team to be able to challenge some of the top six, seven, eight teams in the country. But this is a conference full of very, very good teams but you don't have that one elite team that's going to challenge uh, the traditional powers, if you will, of the ACC, of the SEC, mainly of the SEC, for some of these playoff spots. Oregon's best shot was winning that game to open the year against Auburn. I think a lot of people wrote them off after they lost that game. So in terms of panic, absolutely. You're probably not going to have a Pac-12 team Make the playoffs because of, of, of that one, that Oregon loss, and then two, you know, you just don't have that prolific team out of that group. You've got a bunch of good football teams that can knock people off, but I just don't think you have that one team. And so I, I do agree that from a college football playoff perspective, you know, the Pac 12, I don't believe, is going to be represented, but there's still a lot of good football teams. And these games are fun to watch. Cal is very good defensively. Washington with Jacob Eason. Utah is fun to watch. Arizona State with Herm Edwards. He's got his team out to 4-1. and one. They're fun to watch. So a lot of interesting football being played in the Pac-12, but definitely from a college football playoff perspective, their chances are looking pretty slim of sliding in and earning a spot in that dance. Evan, what is the what's the biggest game this weekend you're looking you're looking forward to? We've got a few of them.
1: It's the one you're going to be at <laughs> uh, for yeah. Florida and Auburn because that game has massive SEC t- title and potentially playoff ramifications and it's strange to say that a game in early October would be such a huge deal come the end of the season. But it is. These are two top ten teams. We all know how the SEC is loaded. They've got one, two, three, four, five teams. They have half of the top ten. It. This is going to be a big test for both Bo Nix and Kyle Trask, and also Cody. I really hope that you wind up on the scoreboard or on TV, <laughs> so then yep. you could. That could be your Twitter. Like the background of your Twitter like forever of that time you got on ESPN uh, or CBS or whatever the game's on.
0: We'll see what happens. But, yeah, that Florida-Auburn game, that's the one as well. I will be at that game. My brothers are coming down. They always come down for a game, Uh, big Gator fans. Uh, My brothers come down from South Carolina for a game. So I'm headed up to Gainesville as the 330-CBS game, Auburn at Florida. There are going to be a ton of eyes on that football game, a lot of eyes on Iowa-Michigan earlier in the day. Ohio State, Michigan State is uh, uh, the night game on ABC. That's a big one as well, but I don't think anyone would argue that that Florida-Auburn game at 3.30 on Saturday is the biggest game of the weekend in terms of playoff implications. Michigan State and Ohio State, I would say, is kind of a close second there. Evan, let's slide over to the National Football League, a host of different stories to get to with respect to the NFL. And I want to start be with a, a certain running back for a certain Los Angeles team. Melvin Gordon ended his holdout and returned to the field. He did not play in the game. He was active, was dressed, but he did not participate in the game uh, against the Dolphins, having only a couple of days to practice. What in the world did he accomplish by sitting out?
1: Um... I, I have no idea.
0: <laughs> I'm right there with you. I'm trying to find. Something. Uh,
1: sa- saving his body for a couple of games. Um, uh, other than that, I have
0: no idea. He would have. I feel like the correct answer should be nothing. I- I'm I'm right there with you. This is a 26-year-old running back in the final year of his rookie deal. He was set to make 5.6 million dollars this year. Look, when he when he since he's come into the league. He has been an extremely productive running back. He's had 3,600 yards rushing, 28 rush touchdowns. He's had he's had two seasons with 10 rushing touchdowns, uh, 1,500 yards receiving, and 10 more touchdowns uh, catching the ball out of the backfield. This is an extremely talented running back, but we saw Le'Veon Bell commit to sitting out an entire season because he felt like he wanted to get paid and felt like he deserved more than he was making on his rookie deal. Melvin Gordon had that thought process, but I don't think Melvin Gordon was willing to sit out the entire season and not to mention Austin Eckler and the chargers have been okay without him.
1: And Le'Veon's Bell's prize was to go to (laughs) the New York jets. Yeah. uh, Great, great prize there. He's like the only guy on the jets that looks like he cares or knows how to play football. Oh, man. Uh,
0: they're they're their Le- th- Le- on their third quarterback. You,
1: you could say that uh, Le'Veon Bell, like, won because he saved a year, but, like, he's never getting that $15 million or whatever he forfeited back. And now he's in a much worse situation with the New York Jets when your quarterback gets mono, and then the head coach f- gets the GM fired after spending the most money in free agency. Uh, this... Wow, like we're only a fourth of the way through the season and we've had some crazy stuff. Uh how about uh Vontes getting suspended for an entire season? That seems a bit harsh, doesn't it?
0: It does seem a bit harsh. A- and I I'll, I'll say this, if this happened, if this happened in the first game, do you think the NFL suspends him for the entire season? If this happens like week 16, is that like okay we're going to sit is you know is it still 12 games or whatever it is so we're going to sit you down for these two and then 10 next year like how did they like i feel like it's just kind of arbitrary that it's like okay you're done for the season now don't get me wrong i am by no means advocating for Vontez perfect this is a guy if you saw the hit on jack doyle of the colts in the the this past weekend the raiders defeated the colts 31 to 24 Jack Doyle catches a pass. He's like gone to the ground. He's kind of on his knees. He's getting back up to run because nobody has touched him yet. So he's able to catch the ball and then continue to get up and run if he is able to do so. Vontez Burfik comes in, leads with the crown of his helmet. Looks like he's targeting someone with his elbow as well. You know, he kind of sticks his elbow up there. He lowers his head, and he absolutely destroys Jack Doyle with a helmet-to-helmet hit. This is a guy that is, after this season is up, will have lost almost $6 million through fines and lost salary. He has been suspended eight times for illegal hits and four times for a PED ban. He's missed 12 games, not counting the ones he is about to miss. He's been fined ridiculous amounts of money for hits in 2018, a uh, couple of instances in 2017, a couple of instances in 2016, uh, 2015, 2014, 2013. You mentioned that there were four fines in 2013. H- how the NFL got to the number that they suspended him for the rest of the season, I don't know, but is it well-deserved? In my opinion, absolutely.
1: How much of it is the prior history that, oh, it's this guy again. Okay. Yeah. Let's just, let's just suspend him for the year. Cause Even the start to his career didn't start out great because, remember, he went to Arizona State, was projected to be a first-round pick, and then he had a host of issues going back to the Combine. He was one of the most penalized players in college football. Uh, he, He said that he had an unusually high number of personal foul penalties. He failed the Combine drug test, had a bad 40 time. Guy went undrafted wound up in Cincinnati, which is like if you were to guess between all of the teams in the NFL that would want this kind of guy, Cincinnati and Marvin Lewis would be the one team that would be like, yeah, sure, whatever, come over here. And then he goes to
0: Oakland, which that's the other team I would say. Oh, yeah, sure. Come over here is the Oakland Raiders.
1: It is the it is more than double the longest suspension in NFL history. The previous one to that. Do you remember what that was, Cody?
0: I do not. Enlighten me. I, I it don't... was
1: Albert. It was Albert okay. in two thousand six when he scraped his cleat on Andre Gerard.
0: Yeah, he he R- kicked him remember in the head. That? I do remember that. I do remember that. So that he only
1: got five games for that. This is more than double what this suspension would be, and his contract is up. He only signed a one year, five million dollar deal. He's gonna turn thirty next September. Are there going to be teams that just look at it and say, nah, we'll pass, we'll get somebody else?
0: I 100% think so. I mean, you just talked about the contract that he signed. I think the guarantees in that deal were somewhere in the neighborhood of half a million dollars. He's going to lose almost all of the guaranteed money just in missed game checks from this suspension. But I I can't, I mean, this this sure seems like a last straw to me. I don't know who's going to be it you know, be able to say you know what we're going to bring in Vontez perfect after the history that he's had you know if this was like a two game suspension maybe the maybe the I, I don't know i i just i can't see somebody with his history and having had that hit and being suspended by the nfl for the rest of the season i can't see anybody else taking a chance on him maybe they do I, I just i can't see it do you think there's three, somebody out there that would
1: three letters XFL. <laughs> <laughs>
0: why they're, not? They're gonna make a run at Trevor Lawrence, and Vontez Burfict will be the uh, middle linebacker of an XFL team.
1: Wait, they're making a run at Trevor Lawrence?
0: No, I just, I, 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 can see where they, I can see where because Trevor Lawrence can't enter the NFL draft for another year, I could see where the XFL says, hey, Trevor Lawrence, why don't you, uh, leave college football? You leave Clemson. You come down and. Uh, Play for us, we'll give you, you know, X amount of millions, and then you'll be able to get drafted into the NFL. Uh Just a and the wild, odds, wild. And period the odds that I have. of
1: you as Trevor Lawrence taking that are zero?
0: Well, they might be zero, but I I don't think that changes the fact that if I'm the XFL, I, I try and I try and make that happen.
1: Uh we are a fourth of the way through the NFL season, and here we are after four weeks, Cody, only two undefeated teams remain.
0: Yeah, they got weeded out pretty quick. We had eight last week.
1: <laughs> the 3-0 49ers, who were on a bye, so they didn't play anybody.
0: By default.
1: And the New England Patriots, who did not look good against Buffalo, but did enough to win 16-10. to 10. So, Cody, we know that the AFC at this point is overwhelmingly a two-horse race, but I'm going to... Send your attention over to the NFC. Who is the scariest slash most dangerous team that you see in the NFC or the one that you have the most confidence in?
0: Oh, boy, that's tough. Nobody's stuck out. I would say I still have a lot of faith in the Philadelphia Eagles. I know they're two and two, I know they haven't looked good. They have major problems on the back end of that defense in the secondary. But this is a team that you saw against the Packers. Their offense woke up. Jordan Howard really got involved. I think that's a guy that they need to continue to try and get involved because he is a very skilled player running the football and catching the football, a dual threat there for Carson Wentz and the Eagles. I just like the fact that they have so many weapons at their disposal. I think Deshaun Jackson, he'll be able to get healthy. He'll be able to come back. We saw Alshon Jeffrey return you've got Darren Sproles, you have Zach Ertz, you have a couple of different running backs. I like the weapons that Carson Wentz has in Philadelphia. I don't trust the back end of the defense. So the Eagles haven't, I guess, you know, surprised or they haven't performed up to expectations, but they are a team that I trust as the season continues to go on as a team that I like that, can I think really, really make a run, and I I have them in the Super Bowl. Uh, so obviously, you know, I, I do still believe in them. But just looking at how they've played and the people they have on the field, I do still think they are a team that I have faith in to be able to right the ship and make a run.
1: I have them in my Super Bowl too, so I'm sticking with that pick. Uh, the one team that. I have a lot of faith in is in New Orleans. Uh, they've gone 2-0. 2-0, since, Teddy. Since losing Drew Brees. They went into Seattle and beat Seattle, which is always a tough place to win. And they held the Dallas Cowboys to 45 yards rushing on Sunday night. Like, this New Orleans Saints defense looks legit. And then they get Tampa Bay... Who just put up fifty-five on the Rams this Sunday at home? You know, I'm putting some. I'm putting some faith in the New Orleans Saints. I'm not ready to bail on the LA Rams yet. Uh, I don't know how you feel about the Rams giving up fifty-five to Jameis Winston in Tampa.
0: So uh, uh, yeah, we'll, that we'll... can't happen. Uh, real quick, uh, real quick on the Saints. You know, Evan, what was the what was the narrative around New Orleans when Drew Brees went down? He's probably going to be out six games. You know, if we can we can just win a couple of those. You know, maybe go 500 with Teddy Bridgewater. You know, the Saints are going to be okay. They'll be they'll be afloat in that division. Two and 0 Teddy. It's not it's not been the most prolific thing in the world. He's not pushing the ball down the field. 186 yards a game in Brees' absence. He's only he's got two touchdowns, one pick, but. completions. He's doing enough. Let the Saints pass rush do their job. Marcus Davenport, who they traded up for, Cam Jordan off the edge. The back end of that defense in the secondary at corner at safety is very, very solid. We were all, you know, everyone was saying, oh, if the Saints can go 500, it'll be a miracle. The Saints are going to try and win four or five of these games with Breeze's absence.
1: And I don't know why they can't maybe they beat tampa maybe not but it was hey if this team goes 3 and 3 at best like that's
0: yeah that's, that's good an you'll be able to stay and you'll be able to stay right in that mix
1: and they are so their next 3 games are sunday home against tampa and then at jacksonville and at chicago then they get arizona on the 27th and then a bye week and then november 10th their home against Atlanta. So let's assume that they get drew Brees back for the Arizona or Chicago game. Drew Brees is still within striking distance of the all time passing touchdown record. And so is Tom Brady, but it feels like they might come down to Brady and breeze for who breaks Peyton Manning's record. So Cody, it, let's say he comes back He misses two more games, so he only misses four or five weeks. Or he misses all six. Does Drew Brees catch the record? Because coming into the season, he needed 19 to break it. Do you think he'll get it?
0: I mean, I I see it happening with Michael Thomas, uh, with Alvin Kamara. If he can come back, and, and, you know, it's going to depend on, obviously, how good that thumb feels. But I don't see any reason why Drew Brees is not able to – not able to get that record and not able to kind of slide back in. And, hey, if the Saints defense can continue to do what they did to the Cowboys, Dak Prescott came back to earth, they, the Cowboys could not run the football. The Saints defense plays like that, they are going to have a chance. But you were talking about the L.A. Rams lost 55-40 to to famous Jameis Winston and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Jared Goff, Evan, 45 for 68, 517 yards, a couple of touchdowns, uh, but not a good performance. If you watched the game, he threw, I believe, three interceptions. He should have had a number, f- uh, another fumble. You pointed out as we were talking yesterday prepping for the show, in his last 13 games, Jared Goff has 14 fumbles. Todd Gurley is not himself. They're not using him In the same capacity, because of that arthritis in his knee, because of those injuries, the 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 Rams have struggled to run the football, which has thus then struggled or or led to their struggles in the play-action pass game. Jared Goff has struggled in the pocket as a passer. Should the Rams be concerned, Evan? I feel like this is a team that's three and one, but they're probably the team that's three and one that's looking around, going, "Boy, we." we do not feel super great about where we're at right now. Defensively. Yes, we're extremely solid, but we've got to figure out what's going on on offense.
1: I'm not going to jump off the Rams uh, bandwagon here. They've got a tough one in Seattle tomorrow night, and then they get the 49ers and at Atlanta. And then on the 27th before the bye week they get the lowly Cincinnati Bengals. So, I'm not ready to pull the plug on L.A. I have a and I feeling would, they're going to figure it out.
0: I think they are, too. And I would I would say that for that defense especially, kind of a one-off. I mean, they've played three really stout games before that. Uh, and then, you know, Jameis Winston. Chris Godwin got loose early. Uh, Godwin had a big day. Jameis Winston was able to go 385-4 touchdowns. He's not going to do that every week. Their defense is not going to give that up every week. I think just with Mike Evans, with Chris Godwin, there were just some matchup issues in the secondary that they were unable to figure out. So I still trust them defensively a lot, but I think there is some concern with Jared Goff that they have got to get him on track and get that offense. Although they scored 40 points uh, against Tampa Bay, that was not really indicative of how they played offensively.
1: Well, you're going to throw the ball 68 times exactly. when halfway through the second quarter, you're down 21 to nothing. Like, I don't have time to give the ball to Todd Gurley at that point, who only had five carries in that game. But yeah, they when, really
0: dialed him back. With 8:40, with
1: 8.35 left in the second quarter, it was Tampa Bay 21, L.A. nothing. At that point, it's, I got to throw the ball to catch up. And you, you made the stat about the fumbles. He should have had an extra fumble if that – cameron jordan play in new orleans against new orleans counted yeah then the only sense and they did the stats like the ringer did the whole stat on this and they did a really great job that from the chiefs rams monday night showdown to right now the only game he has not fumbled in was the super bowl that's crazy he's fumbled in every game since super bowl but He has the fifth most fumbles since 2016. You know who has the fourth most? Who is that? Carson Wentz. Oh, wow. He has fumbled, I believe, 32 times in 44 games. So he has fumbled more than Jared Goff. So here are the top five in fumbles since 2016. Number one is Kirk Cousins. He's fumbled 37 times in 52 games. Number two is Russell Wilson, 35 in 52 games. Jameis Winston's fumbled 34 times in 44 games. Carson Wentz 32 times in 44. And then Jared Goff at number five 29 times in 42 career games. Wow. So he is the fifth most that has the fifth most fumbles since 2000 and 16. You you, you wouldn't peg Carson Wentz as a guy that fumbles, would you?
0: No, probably not. Like, you know, it's not one of those guys that, you know, big, strong guy in the pocket. Like, I mean, it makes sense from, I think, you know, he's scrambling around trying to make plays. But but yeah, I I don't know. I just wouldn't peg him. I don't know. I just wouldn't peg it to be on the list. I I would think that he, you know, be able to escape or or do some of those different things. I, I don't know if I would have guessed that he would be there. I mean, I guess it makes sense. You do have a guy that's trying to keep plays alive and those sorts of things, but I don't know if I necessarily would have pegged that. That's a good point. Evan, the last—oh, excuse me, go ahead.
1: Meanwhile, ninth, Dak Prescott, 25 fumbles, 52 games.
0: Wow, almost half.
1: Yeah, so uh, he's—would you still still give him that $30 million a year contract even after the loss to the Saints? Because I would.
0: Yes, I would. He still he still works with all of those pieces that they have offensively and defensively. Uh they're in a position where I do think they need they, they have to pay him. You know, maybe you know, this this is gonna play out week to week. You know, he looked great for three weeks against three bad defenses. He had a tough time against the Saints, you know, so everyone oh he's not worth the contract now, but he was worth it against the bad teams. I think Dak Prescott is still worth the thirty million dollar a year number. Uh, and I, I still do think that uh, that he will get that number. Speaking of the quarterback position, kind of the last thing I want to hit on here, Evan, the Giants and the Redskins. The Giants knocked off uh, Washington 24-3. The battle of the quarterbacks here, you have Daniel Jones, the rookie for the Giants, getting his second victory. And you had the Redskins turning to Haskins late in the game. Daniel Jones and the Giants, there there seemed like there was a plan. And the Giants felt very, very good about where Daniel Jones was from the preseason and obviously where he was taking the snaps with the number ones and taking the snaps uh, in practice. They were obviously pretty confident in what they saw from Daniel Jones when he took over last week that he was going to be able to handle it. I feel like... The Washington Redskins are being pressured to put Dwayne Haskins out there.
1: That's a pretty fair statement because remember what Jay Gruden said after the draft? He was like, "Well, I we took him 17th, so I guess he's going to get a shot." Like he didn't sound overly thrilled that they took Dwayne Haskins. Remember that?
0: Yeah, and it's not I, I do remember his comments there. And if you've just kind of followed along with them, there's really been no indication that that he's been showing the coaching staff in practice and those sorts of things that he's ready to go and take over the job. Case Keenum has been ineffective, and, and he's struggled there. Colt McCoy is your backup to Case Keenum, so Haskins is is probably your third string there. Haskins was 9 of 17. Uh, he had three interceptions and 107 yards, I believe, if I, uh, wrote, if I wrote that down correctly. I just, yeah, 9 of 17, 107, and three picks. I just feel like they're being pressured to play him. I, I The New York Giants with Daniel Jones, at least Jones has some weapons. Yes, Saquon Barkley got hurt, that hurts. But they have Evan Ingram, who's going to be one of the top tight ends for the next decade. You have Sterling Shepard, who is a very, very, uh, very quality wide receiver out wide. You have Wayne Gallman backing up Saquon Barkley, who's a pretty good running back in his own right. He's got the ability to run the football. He's got the ability, the ability to get out in the flat and catch passes too. The Redskins don't have those weapons. The Redskins have rookie Terry McLaurin at running at a wide receiver. Excuse me, who has been banged up recently? That's pretty much the only weapon they have. They have Adrian Peterson in the backfield. Uh, Chris Thompson, uh, he's mostly a receiver. You know, he lines up in the slot and does something. He's a running back, but most of his they, action is short passing game.
1: They drafted Bryce Love, the kid at a Stanford, but he's on the non-football injury list with a knee injury. Who knows if we're ever gonna see that guy play? I remember him at Stanford thinking, "Yeah, this guy's gonna be, this guy's gonna be phenomenal. He's gonna be like another version of Christian McCaffrey." But it just hasn't. You know, the injury bug just kind of bit him. But on the Daniel Jones point, do we owe Dave Gettleman an apology?
0: No, there's a long way to go. He's looked good against a couple of bad teams, so we're gonna pump the brakes. Uh, we're gonna pump the brakes a little bit. There's a test this weekend for him. That's uh, that we'll see what happens. But he 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 looked fine. 225 yards, a touchdown. The Giants moved the ball well against the Redskins. Uh, Wayne Gallman had a big day coming in, stepping in for the injured Saquon Barkley. There's a lot left to prove with Daniel Jones, but he does look like he. That the Giants made a good draft choice and that they chose an appropriate moment for Daniel Jones to come in and play. It just feels like the Redskins threw Haskins out there because, hey, we drafted him. Let's see what he has. Daniel Jones has way more weapons offensively than their Washington Redskins do. And yes, you drafted Dwayne Haskins, 17. If what's best for him is to sit and watch for a year, I don't have a problem with that. I know you drafted him high, but if he's not ready, he's not ready. And it sure looked like the Redskins just kind of haphazardly threw him out there. He definitely looked like he wasn't ready because this Giants defense, and you know they're not world beaters, and Dwayne Haskins struggled. I just feel like Washington doesn't really have a plan. They've just kind of thrown him out there and like, oh, well, we picked him at 17. We have to see what he can do. Yes, you have to see what he can do, but you need to build his confidence in practice. You need to build his confidence getting continued reps with the with the ones. Your top offensive tackle is holding out. So you don't even you're not even putting the best product on the offensive line out there to protect your young quarterback. Let Case Keenum take those lumps, let Dwayne Haskins learn this year, and then throw him out there. I don't know. I, I just feel like they're being pressured to play him, and I think that could backfire because, you know, I, I feel like so much of that position, there's a level of confidence that you have to have, and it looks like the Giants have given that confidence to Daniel Jones, and it looks like the Redskins have not done that for Dwayne Haskins. I, I don't know how you feel about it, but I, just, I was not comfortable with what Washington was doing, and I think this could really, really not go well for them if they don't handle this the right way. Let me
1: try to do the best I can to justify the unjustifiable of throwing joint Haskins (laughs) out there. Um, Is there a universe that Jay Gruden survives this season? Probably not. Like there is a chance that he could get fired probably within the next couple of weeks. So if you, so let's assume that he sits and learns, learns an offense. The Redskins go three and 13. Okay, great. Drake, Jay, Jay Gruden gets fired. They get a new guy and now he has to learn an entire new offense. So I, I, I understand that your desire is to just not have the guy play, but that's not really how it works with first round quarterbacks anymore. But it seems that Jay Gruden knows he's a dead man walking at this point. Of they've got New England, and then they're at Miami. If he loses at Miami, he's got to get fired like the second the game ends, right?
0: Yeah. If if he does if he doesn't get like, canned before, then that's probably where it that's, happens. <laughs>
1: that's like you know in the SEC when Sylvester Croom was coaching Mississippi State, and it was like, well, if you lost to Mississippi State, you got to go. <laughs> right. Yeah, it, 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 it's it's kind of like that with Miami. Like if they lose that game, he's probably gonna get fired the second the game ends.
0: And Miami sort of hasn't or, Miami hasn't looked all that bad with Rosen. Obviously, they can't protect him, but he's had nice flashes. They've moved the ball. They did well early against the Cowboys. You know, there have been a few flashes with Rosen. Nothing spectacular, but...
1: Yeah, but not all that bad in the context of Miami is saying that this is the best-looking dumpster I've seen okay, in the fine. last... No,
0: I mean, that's fair, like, I guess.
1: That, like, not that bad in the context of Miami is still pretty bad
0: yes it's still brutal but I I just mean from the you know they they can't protect him they've traded away all of their weapons and he still had a few a few nice moments so but I totally agree if that's if that if Washington loses that game I think it's definitely done for Gruden I hear what you're saying in terms of he's going to have a new coach but even if he even if he played this year let's say he played this entire year Gruden could still get fired and then he'd still have to learn a new offense anyway. So, he would be he would have shot confidence because he would have thrown a Bazillion picks this year and he would have a new coach rather than let's protect him. Let's let him, you know, maybe come into some games late, but let's let him learn this year. Turn him loose with a new coach next year. I, that's just kind of how I feel about it.
1: And we just and we just mentioned Josh Rosen. Look what happened to Josh Rosen last year. High first-round pick Steve Wilkes. Steve Wilkes gets fired. Kingsbury comes in, says, "Nah, I want to get my own guy." That might happen to Haskins next year. It might. Let's say, let's say Washington finishes in the top five, and they hire some guy, and then other guys like, you know, I think I like Justin Herbert better. Sorry, Dwayne, we're gonna ship you off to wherever. Like, th- th- there's precedent. It could happen.
0: It could. No, you're you're exactly right about that. That could. That could very, very well happen. Uh, the Redskins are an interesting saga to follow just because I I, I think they, they've got some problems, uh, definitely got some problems. I don't think that's any secret, but it really interesting to see how they handle it. And it was just interesting for me to see that game and, and kind of talk through it here because you had the juxtaposition of the rookie quarterbacks, Daniel Jones being turned over uh, the keys to the the brand new car, and then Dwayne Haskins being tossed the keys and said, "Hey, here, try and make something happen." So in a game that we saw them kind of go head to head, not for the entire time, but for a point during that game, uh, I thought that was uh, a very interesting, very interesting moment for the Giants and the Redskins. Evan, what's the uh, where are your eyes this weekend? Is it Thursday night? Is it Seattle and L.A.
1: Uh no, it's actually Dallas and Green Bay. I'm looking at that Dallas and Green Bay game, and I'm also and I'm also uh, making a plea to uh, Cleveland and San Francisco. Can you please give us a watchable Monday night game? <laughs> like the last three Monday night games we've gotten were brutal. Actually, really the last four. The only halfway decent Monday night game was that first New Orleans and Houston game. We got the Raiders beating up on the Broncos. We got eh. the Browns beating up whatever's left of the New York jets, eh. the red, the Redskins and the bears. Eh. And then you gave us the Pittsburgh Steelers beating up Ugh. Cincinnati in prime time. Like, just please, please give us a watchable Monday night game. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's all I want.
0: <laughs> I think, I think you're going to get a watchable Monday night game. Browns and 49ers on Monday night. Uh, 425 on Sunday, Packers-Cowboys, that should be a good one. Uh, And then you've got Thursday night as well. Uh, If anything uh, between the Eagles and the Packers was proven, uh, hopefully Thursday night the Rams in Seattle to take on the Seahawks is going to be a very exciting game as well. That's going to do it for us here on this episode of the From the Booth podcast. We thank you for tuning in. We really appreciate it. Uh, as always, you can give us a follow on Twitter, at FromTheBoothPod. Uh, to listen to the show, you can catch us in all kinds of different places. Head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher. We're also on the iHeartRadio app as well. We just got approved for that, so exciting stuff there. You can find us on iHeart. Uh, if, if you don't see us on your platform, uh, send us a message, let us know. We're in like 10 different places, so it would be hard to miss us, but... That could happen, so let us know if we are not where you get your podcasts, and we will make sure to get it there. But go ahead and follow us. Uh, Give us a rating. uh, Subscribe to the pod, uh, especially on Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star rating. Drop us a a review. Uh, That really helps us out in that regard. We'll uh, we'll love you forever if you do that. Give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Drop us a comment about the show. Uh, give us a follow, like I said, on Twitter at From the Booth Podcast. Catch us on TuneIn, Stitcher, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, thanks to Evan Eichen again, my co-host once again. Evan, great show as usual. Really enjoyed also, uh, another week also, here.
1: Also, uh, check out on Apple Podcasts and Anchor and Spotify, the Evan Eichen show, the interview show. Uh, that drops every other Thursday. Uh, my most recent one was with uh, Waldorf communication professor uh, Tiffany Olson talking about her uh, her battle with uh skin cancer and she also talked about her time as uh working in a graphic design firm uh really interesting stuff uh so check that out every other thursday i'll have a new interview dropping uh, so check it out on apple Podcasts, spotify and uh anchor
0: you took the words right out of my mouth that was next on my list check out the evan eichen show make sure you do that you can get that as he just mentioned uh really good interview series with evan uh uh, Tiff on the show. uh Very excited to, uh very excited to catch that one. Uh, one of my favorite, one of my favorite com professors uh, in my time at Waldorf. So Evan's doing that. Uh, the Evan Eisen show. Make sure you check that out. Especially, uh, un- go ahead. We had an
1: unexpected guest uh, at the end Ooh, of that show. We uh, the. Uh- the Waldorf uh, campus fire alarm went ah, off within the classic. final four minutes of that interview. So if you hear like a loud squeaking noise in the background of the TIFF interview, that's what that was. Uh, couldn't cut it out. Uh, so we just kind of ran with it. So I apologize in advance if it hurts your ears.
0: Classic, classic. Special thanks to our guy, Tony Huynh for the awesome podcast artwork. Uh, he's got us looking, looking solid in all of those different areas. You can find the podcast. So special thanks to him and his design for helping us out with the logo. Uh, Thank you to Evan, as usual. Thanks to Tony. Thank you all for listening. We really appreciate it. Subscribe uh, to the podcast. Rate us. uh, Make sure you get our new episodes. Thank you guys so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Right back here next week on the From the Booth podcast.